I'm Megan. I'm Colin. And this is Pet Sitter Confessional. Confessional. An open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter. Brought to you by Time to Pet. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back. Today, we are super excited to talk with Alexian Arsens, a pet sitter in Johannesburg, all about what the pet sitting community, what the pet sitting industry is like in South Africa, and a super exciting conference that she has organized to help raise the bar in the industry. Alexian, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Could you please tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Okay, so my name is Alexian. I am French, actually, so not South African. Um, and I've been in Joburg for quite almost all my life. So technically, I am South African a bit now, too. Um, I'm the founder of Pizzitus Conference here in Johannesburg and also a fellow Pizzitter, too. Uh, I'm a first-time podcaster as well. I've never done this before. So I'm also looking forward to doing it and chatting to you more. Yeah, absolutely. So what is your journey into pet sitting? How did you get started? So I started pet sitting in 2018-2019. So I was usually doing it as a casual thing, so not professionally. But then I saw potential in making it grow into something better and, you know, getting more skills since I do want to work with animals. And uh, three years later, I'm glad to say I'm doing well and I have my own little company. I do work on my own because um, I haven't found the right people to work with me yet. But so far, so good. <laughs> I, it's definitely a sentiment that most of us have is where we have this dream. We have these these thoughts of something we'd like to pursue and then we end up looking up going hey i'm actually doing it right that's that's kind of a, it's a really big deal and i don't think enough of us really take the time to appreciate that kind of growth and all that hard work that we've done when you talk about the, your pet sitting services what kind of services do you offer so i do live in pet sitting so going to the owner's home but i also offer boarding so for only special clients let's say not for everyone. It doesn't suit everyone's needs, yeah. Yeah. Well, so how do you make that distinction of who is a good uh, candidate for live-in sitting versus a boarding? Well, usually um, most people request live-in in South Africa because their dogs feel more comfortable. Hmm. But some people don't really feel comfortable having people in their houses while they're away for whatever reason. And it was actually requested of me because I didn't do boarding before. And uh, so I have a big space, I have a big garden, I have a big home. So I was like, why not give it a try and see if it works? And uh, so I had my first client, I think, for boarding uh, a year and a half ago. And then it went very, very well. But I didn't know much about boarding at the time, not as much as I did for living. So it was a lot of research and uh, changing things around the house. Um, accommodating to the pet's needs. I obviously don't board cats because I have dogs at home. So the dogs would have to be socialized at a certain level to get along with the others. But most of the times they are, so it's not really an issue. And um, one thing that I found was essential for a good boarding was the environment where the dog was. So where it would be sleeping and playing and, you know, doing its doggy business. And since I wanted the animal to feel as comfortable as possible, I only limited myself to two animals a day, even if I had big of the, a big space, since I wanted my attention to focus on them and their needs. And if they were scared of something, I mean, I had a client once whose dog was scared of the fountain, Aww. and the fountain was, <laughs> was just in front of my house. So we had to bribe him with a bag of treats and shake it because he, he wasn't petrified of it, but he just didn't like, I guess, the sound it made. Or, but he loved the water. He just didn't like the fountain. So we couldn't hide the fountain. We just had to walk around the entire house to make him go through another entrance. So things like that I have to take into consideration and come up with the plan as quick as possible. <laughs> That's a, I, I love hearing that because we definitely have to think on our feet all of the time because not just are each client, each pet individual, but each situation is new. And you may have cared for a pet for 
years and years, but now you encounter a brand new situation that they've never experienced before. And we, being the caregivers, now have to, on the spot, use our experience to think through, okay, how do I make this a good experience for them? How do we overcome this? And we've got to be, it's a very, it's a very creative process as we go about trying to solve these problems that come up. I mean, I personally, my, uh, my dogs do most of the job for me, actually, when it comes to boarding, because they, they're actually very friendly, they're very well trained, so they don't push boundaries with the other dogs, and we make them feel more comfortable. So if I have, let's say, an elderly dog coming, I know they're not going to jump on him and exercise until he's panting and super tired. If I have a puppy, they can handle the puppy very, very well. So it's also good for them, for the dogs. It's like, because dogs, when they leave their home, they get super excited most of the time. So I'm going to do something new. I'm going to see something new. And then they come here to this big garden with five dogs. And they're like, it's doggy paradise, you know? <laughs> and they, they enjoy it. Very, most, they, most, they enjoy it a lot. And the yeah. owners actually getting more boarding requests and living requests because they, they just drop them off and then they leave because they know they're very safe and they have someone to play with. Yeah, and the mess is in is here and not at their home. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an that's an interesting <laughs> di- distinction as far as markets go because I know here in the United States we get a t- lot of requests for live-in specifically where we they want us to be in their home more full time, and so we have to spend some time doing. Com- uh, client education about the alternatives. So do you feel like, um, or how, how do you go about educating your clients about all of their options in pet care? So I personally always suggest a live-in, even if I'm like boarding myself, because the dog feels more comfortable at home and they have their daily routines established or they have like a favorite spot they'll sleep in. And once you change that routine, um, it, it gets confusing and very messy for them. And that's also a behavior point of view is why I don't always say yes to boarding is because the animal might freak. So one second they're fine and they're playing with the dogs and then they'll their routine is completely kaput. So they won't know how to do and they might get reactive and, you know, maybe have a bit of anxiety. And I can see it because I have worked with it before. And it's just, it just won't happen. So if living is a good option, then yes. And if boarding is also an option, then yes. yes if yes. not, I say no. <laughs> and if they just start, then if we're just not compatible with the animal, then I always have references with other stitchers. I do communicate with them a lot. So I just refer them to someone else if they have another option, because those are my only two options. Yeah, I, and knowing what's a good fit and what's not a good fit is something that takes some time to to think about and understand what where our limits are, right? Like, I think it really does me, take a lot of introspection to go, hey, what what do I actually want this to 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 be? How do I actually want this to operate? And knowing that I can say no, like I have agency to do that in my business. When you say you refer out to other sitters, what is the pet sitting community like in, in Johannesburg? So, honestly, I will say it's not a very stable industry here because uh, there aren't any regulations. So it's kind of we, 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 everyone can be a pet sitter. Most professionals, because there are a lot of professional pet sitters, we kind of, kind of stick together, let's say. So we refer to each other some cases. It's not for everyone because some people work alone and they have their own team members. But it's a very undecided community, let's say. Um, there's a lot of people want to get in the industry, but it, it's just not, they just don't fit for it. They don't have the knowledge and they don't want to work enough to learn about, you know, why we charge the way we do, some things that we do we shouldn't do, uh, just a lot of things to to go through that they don't consider. So it's hard to see who who is a pet sitter and who isn't a pet sitter. So I think that's why this it's so divided because you, you don't know really know who to trust. If you refer to someone, how do you know he's gonna take great care of the animal? Then it's your reputation that's a problem because you're referring someone to someone who is not doing very well. So it's uh very tricky here so far. 
while there may be other people in our areas, you know, we, we do have to vet them, right? That's our responsibility when it comes to understanding what their processes are, what their background is, what their training is like. So are you are you reaching out to sitters individually to kind of talk to them about that so you know who's a good fit and who's not? Yes. So I do have a, a list of contacts, people that I know and have spoken to. Also, I know what they have achieved and what they do on a daily basis with the pit sitting. I know they are very involved. So I, I won't hesitate if a client is out of my service area to quickly refer them to them without a, a thought. Um, so, so that's kind of how it goes. We do sometimes in, um, share sitting that has happened with me once or twice when the client is comfortable with it, of course, but, or else we, we, when we know each other, everything is very good. And you mentioned earlier about there being no rules or regulation around being a pet sitter. Is is that just for like dog walking and live-ins or does that include boarding facilities as well? No, it's it's actually pet sitting on its own. Okay. Pet sitting is not classified as a actual job here. There aren't any rules for pet sitting, no regulations. So technically anyone can advert and offer the service of pet sitting without going through um, the government, basically. So as we, the professional sitters, we try and go by the ethical standards of pet sitting, which makes us more different than the ones offering just regular dog walking or living. So for me personally, I stay updated with PSI International with their regulations. So that has worked for me very well. I think most of the sitters do as well. So they all have their policies and they go by it. And we try and make sure, I think, from what I can see, that we have all the same regulations. Because then it, it gets a bit complicated when someone comes out of a, another sit that was with someone that just has, is not regulated, does not have any policies, and they're suddenly shocked by why we say no to certain things and how we do it. And they're like, well, then that happened to me before. And I'm like, well, this is how it's supposed to be. So, <laughs> you know. No, absolutely. When we forget that when clients are reaching out to us, they have had past experiences and they are bringing in a lot of expectations when they come to talk with us. And they are not that it's baggage, but there's a lot of things that sometimes we have to help them overcome. And that I, I definitely agree that the majority of time that is around boundaries, that is around pricing, that is around policies where they may be used to being able to pay super cheap prices or be used to being, to, uh, you know, run over the, the owner of the business and kind of do it the way they want to. And we have to you know, we have to, that we have to, that's kind of a fight that we have to stick up for ourselves and recognize, nope, these are my standards and, and I'm not going to, to budge from them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, most of the time, my challenge comes mostly with my fees, although it's a common issue for everyone, I'm sure, but it's, it, I will not change them. Um, one of the policies that I have, for example, is for an injured animal or, you know, that's very ill with an obvious injury. I will refuse to take care of this set unless the issue is being addressed before. But I usually refuse because the owner knows something is wrong, but they won't do it for multiple of reasons that actually don't even matter. Because if I accept the set and something happens to the animal or it gets worse, I will be held liable. And the worst thing that can happen is really death. And I don't want that happening knowing um, the owners haven't done anything. Unless something is done and there's an ongoing current condition, then I will be, you know, alerted and have the vet as my emergency. And at least I know I can do something without, without the, with the owner's blessing. You know, vet partnerships are very integral to a thriving pet care community. So what are your relationships like with vets, with groomers and, and pet stores? So I have very good relationship with my vet, actually. So with a veterinary hospital and a veterinary clinic, not so far by me. I actually give them my contact detail. They have my card there and all my information. So if the 
owner um, is going away and they actually mention it to them, they'll give it mention them to me. Or what happens sometimes is dogs that are in the back of the clinic or the hospital, or for example, strays, um, but for stray, I will obviously not charge the, the hospital anything. But one of the things that happens sometimes is that the owners have to go away or they're away when there's an emergency. So they'll actually call me and they have a kennel ready for me to take with me at home. So it's a, the animal might be sick, but they say the animal doesn't have to move. So all it needs to be is in a bedroom, in a quiet bedroom, and he stays at home with me. And that's how what happens most of the time, which is actually very great. As well with groomers, except with groomers, um, the clients are usually come here at my home. It happens mostly for boarding. And uh, I refer them to grooming and they refer them back to me as well. It's also very cool. And uh, yeah, so I have very good relationships and I'm happy about that. When you have those kind of relationships, it really does take a lot of stress off of our shoulders as the, the pet sitters, as the pet care team because we know again who we can trust and it takes time to build those relationships but when we are able to do that it also really helps the clients because a lot of times the clients don't know what they don't know and if we can show up and say hey you know this person you need to go to this groomer this vet this pet store here's the pet care specialist you need to talk to you can really start helping them be better pet parents and help them become better educated yes i agree so um, most of the time, what will happen is I actually have a sheet of a list of um, vets and hospitals that I recommend, uh, and they can actually go see them on my behalf. And what I'm trying to establish now is kind of a direct uh, liaison, let's say. So the, I have specific clients that go to specific vets because of me now. So I get an even better relationship with the vets and they actually share that with you know, other people on their side of the veterinary kind of business, which is actually very, very awesome since it's a profession that I'm looking into. Yeah. Yeah. Again, you, you don't know where those connections are going to, to lead and building and bettering relationships is, all, is good for everybody, right? So there's no real downside to that and people get better connected. And if you're interested in pursuing that field too, you can start growing some of those connections as well. You know, we've talked about, I, I, am, I am curious to know about how you go about finding your clients and what, uh, what, what has been working for you and, and where your clients are typically coming from. So my clients used to come from the people that knew me. Since I used to sit, obviously go to my closest reference, which were my friends. And um, so I started sitting for them. And then they would refer me to their friends. And then their friends would refer me to their friends. And then it was an ongoing cycle. And then obviously I've established very good relationships with my vet and pet supply stores. and. If they have someone, they'll just send them to me. And those people will refer me to other people and cycle this space over and over again. So I have an basically endless limit of database of clients, which is very good. So I know I'm not short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, word of mouth is absolutely, it's so powerful because it's one thing for them to see a post that we make you know, on social media or on a flyer or something that we hand out. It's something completely different when their friend comes to them and say, oh, you've got to use Alexian. You've got to use this person because they're amazing. That That's a lot more powerful. And it's work that we don't have to do, right? Like I, I can't go around and personally tell every single person about me, but my clients can do that to their friends and then their friends tell their friends and definitely have that cascading impact. Exactly. I mean, I... I might receive a message from an inquiry one day and I'll say, okay, I'm, I'm free and then we can have a meet and greet. Maybe two hours later, I have three messages. Hi, I got your number from Laura and she said you used to pizza it. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's nice. <laughs> but then I can't accept it because I'm already busy. But then it's, it's kind of one person and then you get three people extra. So it's kind of, uh, it kind of balances that way, which is great. Have you heard of Time to Pet? Claire from Acton Critter Setters has this to say. Time to Pet has honestly revolutionized how we do business. 
My sitters can work much more independently because they have ongoing access to customer and pet information without relying on me. I save hours upon hours of administrative time on billing, processing payments, and generating paychecks. If you are looking for new pet sitting software in the new year, give Timed Pet a try. Listeners of our show can save 50% off your first three months by visiting timedpet.com slash confessions. I wanted to circle back to something we, you mentioned a little bit earlier about pricing. And I know pricing is a conversation that we have an awful lot about how much to charge, what's appropriate, what's out of line. So for, for you, how do you go about setting prices? And what would you say the typical you know price of a, of a pet sitter is in South Africa? The average fee here for a full day or 24 hours is 250 grand, which is $17. It might seem like not a lot to have seen uh, some prices from the States, but for here it's actually quite a lot because obviously the currency is not as strong. Um, but it can go as high as $28, so 400 rands, which is basically kind of the maximum here, and that's mostly for the more professional ones. And really the ridiculous amount will sometimes go as low as $5 for a full day. And that's not the professional ones. And that's how we kind of notice them. And, uh, yeah, because um, we, at least for me, when I started, I based my fee on the average um, salary here for, like, a common worker. And then as my education grew and my skills become better, I started charging more because I had education in first aid. I knew how to, I knew how to work with behavior and Obviously, I, I do a little bit of physio, so I can practice on that. So my fees reflect what I do and what I'm capable of, and I don't need to go over that. Do you, get, do you feel like you get pushback from clients about your prices when they see those other people who are, who are charging you know, 250 Rand? Or, or, or how do you communicate what that pricing actually is and why it is the way it is? So I have a detailed um, sheet of my what will be included in our sets and my skills uh, equal my price. So most of the time the owners don't have a problem for it. So sometimes if you have to charge more because of a special situation, they really don't mind. The only problem that I have faced is from owners that have been with previous sitters that charge lower than me. So they obviously were a bit confused why I was charging what I charged. And it's, I explained to them, you know, it's for its security. You know, I know you're going to know your animal is safe with me. If something goes wrong, I can, you know, do, I will do what I, what I can do for the price that I'm giving you. And they actually just fine with that. And that's a, a good reminder that we are able to point to our backgrounds, our experiences, our services, and kind of let them stand on their own and go, look, for this price, this is what you're getting. You're getting me and all of this expertise. And then, you know, the client's going to be smart enough to make that decision and see if that's going to be a good fit for them. And as you said earlier about never bringing down your prices, because that only leads to trouble and headache down the line. Yes, I will. I don't negotiate. I will never go low in what I do because I also have to make a living. I'm also going somewhere and spending money on my fuel, and it's not something that I I am willing to go lower because you're trying to have a smaller budget. Mm. I mean, it's one example that I say is that you will. I don't think you will go for a veterinary consultation that costs you 50 grand. So you're going to be what kind of vet is that? Okay, <laughs> very low. So don't expect the same with me. You you get what you pay for, literally. You really do. And that takes that takes education and that takes people becoming more aware of the industry. So uh, I am wanting to know, how new is, is pet sitting to, to South Africa? Do you feel like you are finding people who have never heard of pet sitting before? Or are people pretty familiar with what it looks like? People are pretty familiar, yeah. It's just they aren't familiar with the professional side of things. So they think most people here don't think pet sitting is an actual profession, which is uh, they don't work, they can they don't consider it worth it to pay quite some amount to watch over the animals, because you know it's easy to make everything a job here. You will literally you will find probably a, a stack of water bottles to have a job out of it. So. But for them, watching their pets is, you know, I can give you a dollar and then, but it's, it's not that. 
yeah. we we try and educate our, our clients most of the time that um, just getting a nobody that has you know the love of animals, which is what kind of gets them a pitching assignment here, isn't the best solution. It's never the best solution to find someone that just loves dogs. You need to find someone that will understand them and um, learn how to take care of them and will know how to do when the worst is happening. You started pet sitting back in 2018. In the middle of that, of your time as a, as a pet sitter, we've gone through a, a global pandemic. And so I am curious how that impacted you, you your business and, and the pet care industry really uh, in Johannesburg. So when we, we got on lockdown, actually, uh, it was obviously no one could do anything. Um, but I think it would be we were in lockdown for two months. So it was so quiet. I had no one. I was actually stuck with a two dogs. No, actually, I think it was three dogs. Um, and for boarding, the owners were uh, overseas and they got stuck at the airport there. So they were stuck with me for the whole of lockdown. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so it was uh, it was very interesting, but we had a great time. The dog stayed with me for two whole months. Wow! But um, it, it was it was okay. But then after we got out of lockdown and we could actually go and do things, uh, I was hit with this because uh, obviously you only could go to work and then come back at some point. So I I opened kind of like a doggy daycare because I was getting so overwhelmed with queries that I was like, from my clients that I already knew, so they would come and drop off their dogs in the morning and then come pick them up in the afternoon. And I was surrounded by probably six or seven dogs. All good, nothing bad ever happened because they were dogs that actually came here before and didn't accept new clients at the time because I didn't have the time to evaluate them and evaluate the temper of the animals. Mm. So unfortunately, a lot were turned away, but I, it was very, very hectic for me. It definitely was a time of, of confusion and a lot of anxiety as well. And I can't imagine being stuck with, not stuck because they're, they're pets and you, you love them, but having these dogs for two whole months while their owners are were wondering when they'd be able to get back in. And what there's a lot of unknowns through that process. So what kind of lessons are you taking forward and trying to apply to your business now that you learned from them? I used to have a limit because I always asked for a deposit of half of the sitting assignment before the job even starts. I only used to do that at a certain limit because if it's uh, two days, then it's, I, I don't need a deposit. You know? But for longer sits and that lasts for more than two weeks, I always ask for a deposit because in the case where the two dogs stay with me for all two months, the owners were obviously not allowed to go outside. Mm. So they couldn't send anything for me fast for me to buy the dog's food and um, take care of her. Uh, because one of them was on a special food for, um, I think he had something with his kidneys. He had to get a prescription diet, which is not cheap. So it was, uh, they were very big dogs, so they had to eat a lot. So I think we went through, I think, two whole big uh, 10 kilo bags, so like uh, every two weeks. My bill at the end of those two months was, uh, wow, it was oh. a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> wow, I can't even imagine, and you're right, having those kind of policies of going, okay, how, can, how do I make sure that my business is protected? How do I make sure that I and protected through these things that, that happen, right? And we, we do have to tr work through these problems, these scenarios, and we'll never be able to think up of all of them, but we can just prepare a little bit and really get ahead of the game. And especially for, you know, next time. And that policy that you have now of always requiring a deposit, no matter how short or long of a visit, that, again, that's something that will always protect you now. Yes, so I find it very useful sometimes because the... Uh, since I do offer alternative service like grooming or like bringing the dog to a groomer or bringing the, dick, uh, the dog for a physiotherapy consultation, what happens is most of the time the owner is not sure if they want the dog to go. So since I do have a pool here, for example, for physio, if they aren't sure the dog will lack water and they don't know if they want the dog to go for a consult, 
I kind of work with him around water and see if he's kind of used to it. And if he feels comfortable doing that and getting him in the car, I book the appointment and then the deposit kind of pays for that consultation. But since I have it for lower fees, since I do have good um, uh, contacts with the rehabilitation center, then it doesn't really cost me much. But it, it's still a good add-on service for, for the animal. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you, you, you mentioned physiotherapy a couple times now. So tell us about what, what that is and, and how you implement it in your business. You mentioned a little bit about the pool, but what does that really look like doing working with that in your business? So veterinary physiotherapy is basically uh, an adjunct to veterinary medicine. So the overall aim to vet physio is to maintain mobility and function and enhance performance of the animal. And it plays a huge role in healing, pain relief, and rehabilitation after any kind of injury. So as sitters, we're not qualified, if you're not a vet physiotherapist, to offer services of rehabilitation. But there is one thing that we can do, with, uh, which is massage and a good stretching. If you're not planning, obviously, continuing the profession, you don't need to need more than that. This is kind of the basic. And when you learn how to do that, I think it, it improves your sit. When you learn more about physio, you can start seeing changes in the animal uh, that you've been working with. And it takes also a good eye and knowledge to see this. So I might see a dog that has a little bit of weird movement on the hip. And I've seen him before, and he didn't used to do that. And instead of referring him to a vet, well, you always used to you always need to go through a vet first. But physio is the way that I usually recommend now. Such a valuable skill to have when working with dogs. To it just helps for everything. After playing the whole day, you give them a good stretch, stretch, and a massage, and then they're happy, and you know you've done your part in making their the body, their body and muscles uh, in a good state. Is that something that you're offering only to existing clients or is that a standalone service where people can go or you go to people's homes to perform? For living, I usually go there because it's something that's in my, my fee structure. Since I'm not a physiotherapist myself, I am on the, the job shadowing learnings. So I've been going to a lot of centers and uh, learning from them. So then I recreate with the permission of the owners and the physiotherapists. And I, depending on what the dog has, if I can give them something to relieve their pain, if there's a, somewhere in the muscles where I can kind of uh, work with, then I'll do it. If not, I'm not going to touch the area because I'm not qualified to do so. But it's not a service that I offer alone. It's kind of something that I do all the time now. I touch a dog, then I'm like, oh, I can feel something on the leg. What is that? And I start kind of palpating <laughs> on every dog that I see on the road. It's like, oh, is your dog's leg fine? You know, I can kind of see he has a bit of a bulge on his uh, cruciate here. You should get him checked out. <laughs> <laughs> so I never see everything the same way now. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Is when you start to do that, like you said, it's it's not a standalone service because you're not certified in it yet and you haven't gone through that process. But the the massage, the stretching, those are things we can learn and we can do and just make it part of our service of basically when you book me with your permission and with you advanced warning and we'll talk through what this process will look like. But this is something that I can do for you and try and meet their needs. And I'm sure with you know, like you said, with injured dogs or even mostly healthy dogs, there's still massive benefits to that. And that, what does that do? That that means that the clients start looking at us as more of an authority and people that they can, someone that they can trust with other things with their pet. Yes. So one of the things that I really like about it is, um, I, I the, um, how do I, how do I say this? Um, if the owner has a pool, for example. Hydrotherapy is amazing for every single dog and because it's such a low impact uh, exercise because I, when the dog run on the street or on the side of the, walk, uh, the road or if we go on a walk, it kind of impacts all of those joints. It's pretty painful actually because, I mean, we have our limits to run and they have our limits to run. 
And the amazing thing is a dog swimming for 10 minutes in the pool is the equivalent of walking for an hour. So that's what I will always recommend, you know, doing kind of like a good pool outing or um, like a massage, something that's low impact because it's all about the quality of life of the pet. You want them to be feel good and to be good, especially for puppies and for older dogs. Um, it's really beneficial. Yeah. Well, like you said, if the client has a pool there, when you're t- talking with him, you can go, oh, hey, uh, you have this pool. Have you ever thought about this thing? And walking through that process, and definitely of a as part of the, the cool down from the long walk, adding that in, it really becomes an added bonus. And you're setting that dog up for a much longer, healthier life. And that's something that obviously every owner is, is going to want. I also, I since I do have a good reference for the rehabilitation um, practice, they actually have this course that's called hydrotherapy for the homeowners. So if they want to go in the pool with their dogs, they just look at the course, you know, and listen and what key points to do, what not to do, you know, the temperature of the water, how you should introduce your dog to it. And then they kind of do it on their own at home, which is also great because they didn't no, they could do it before. Because no one, every, when you swim with your dog, you don't really think about how you should be doing it. You just kind of put him in the pool and then they swim if they want to swim and if they like to swim. And uh, so having the course in more details, since you don't always have to go to a professional to swim with your dog, it's, it, they, they enjoy it, you know, and it's kind of a good human to dog activity. Again, it's not just, and that's a really good point, it's not just about the health benefits that they get from it, although that is super important. You're also helping with that client-pet bond and deepening their relationship through that process too. Yeah, and one of the, one fun fact is uh, I recently introduced a dog to hydrotherapy, so he's a Labrador. So they usually like water, but this dog wasn't a huge fan, but he didn't really hate it. And so we, when I did hydrotherapy with him and we kind of swam around, we kind of, I was throwing balls in the water and he was kind of chasing it. And now the dog will not stop going into the pool. Every <laughs> second he sits, every single time he gets out of the house in the morning, he goes and jumps into the pool. <laughs> so now they had to install this fence because they were scared he was overtiring himself, which is <laughs> <laughs> Too much of a good thing. <laughs> so he, he, he swims in there for like 20 minutes, and then when you try and get him out, it's, it's impossible. You Aww. have to go in the water, physically grab him. And he's a very good dog, and he has an amazing recall. And he, he just he just doesn't come. You, you can't get him out of there. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. Alexia, you... You have also very recently decided that you were going to do something for the pet care industry in South Africa, and you have organized a conference. Tell us about the conference and kind of the origins of it and why it was important for you to do this. So I decided to start the conference. Well, the came to me in December 2021 at the very peak season of Christmas. And it's because I was seeing so many adverts of so-called pet sitters Charging, charging these low fees, low fees had no skills or knowledge about animals. And following that, following those adverts, I saw this person sharing his horror story where she got robbed. And, you know, it's not, it's not common. We hear about this all the time. But then I was thinking, I need to do, we need to do something about it. And I was chatting with another pit sitter. And I'm like, what can we do that we, in a way we can help our pit sitters because we can't stop people from pit sitting. It's, it's impossible since there are no rules or regulation, but we can help them. We can help educate them in, in basic animal care and our pit sitting standards. So we decided why not just host a learning conference and then we literally cover every, not every topic, but we most, the most important things that you need to know. So it will be happening the 14th of May, and, and with this team of amazing sitters, we have selected a few topics to discuss, like marketing and communication, safety, you know, the practice standards, and we'll also be doing a hands-on workshop, as I like to call it, where an actual uh, behaviorist will be coming and chatting about, you know, how how you can detect and see 
you know, if the dog is not happy or not, you know, for aggression issues. Um, a physiotherapist will also be coming and demonstrating that too. So it's going to be a very awesome day. We have quite a lot of people um, that have signed up. Um, so that's very, very good. The hands-on workshops, I think, are going to be invaluable because you can take online trainings with behavior. You can read about behavior, but to actually work through that in person in front of you, even at the most basic level, it's really it's really impactful and it's something that really is really changes the nature of how you interact with pets as soon as you start knowing what to look for. It was actually an undecided thing to do. I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it because. I wasn't sure if they were capable enough to do it. I know some of them are, but I don't want them copying, and uh, especially for physiotherapy, to try and copy something that they're seeing and not manage to reproduce it very well. So I, w- I wanted to make it clear that this is not a once-in-a-time thing. You need to continue learning about it. You can't just come to the conference and be like, okay, so now I know everything about pet sitting and I'm going to go do my thing. No, it's not about <laughs> that. It's, it's just the first step in um, learning. So we, we cover, we're covering your basis and um, you need to do your part and then keep going. I mean, we, we also are planning on the side, and it was kind of a surprise, a pet a first aid course because there aren't a lot um, face-to-face here in South Africa. You mostly do them online. So we are working with vets and a bunch of people to have an ongoing course happening all the time so they can have the knowledge of that because most of them don't have, don't know how to do first aid. Which is an extremely, uh, it's an absolutely crucial skill to have. And you mentioned something about the learning process of Many times we see something and may go, oh, I can do that exactly uh, how, as that professional did it, who's done it for years and years. And we get a little overconfident. And it's important to remember that we have to learn in steps and fits and starts. And really, when we're learning new things, I know for me, sometimes it's hard for me to humble myself and go, I know nothing about this. So I need to start from the very beginning and work from there. And that is a process. And anything that we learn, anything that we take on, any new thing that we try and do to really put on the the learner mindset and go, how I need to get the most out of this. And I need to start walking on this journey. And this information is going to be super helpful, but I know there's going to be a lot of follow-up after this. So I think you're doing a great job. of. It's good to hear kind of making these caveats of, hey, just because you're going to see this one time does not mean you're going to be an expert. And there's a lot more things that, <laughs> that, that you're going to need to know. Exactly, which is why I kind of also emphasize on having um, role models in the pet industry here in Johannesburg um, come. The only problem, obviously, is since um, there are no regulations. Obviously, you, you've established your company and you're very well-known and you have very good skills. But the problems that I saw facing with this conference is that some people didn't want to come because they already had the skill. They didn't understand what the conference, the role of the conference and what the goal was. The goal wasn't necessarily just to educate people that didn't know about pit sitting, but it was also something that would be... Um, that would bring us together in a way. We can share our knowledge and, you know, because it's never happened here before. It's as never, there's never been, I think, a Pixidus conference here in Johannesburg. I know that in Cape Town there has been, uh, on opposite of uh, South Africa, but here there, there hasn't been a thing. And I think it was pretty important to do it, but obviously people will always doubt you somewhere and we have to prove that our intentions are well and, and, that it's that it's a, it's going to benefit them as well. Again, recognizing that you know the conferences come with with many benefits. It's not just about learning the head knowledge, like you said. It's also about building that community, building those relationships. And, and you know, I, I look at people who I I know have been going to conferences here in the here in the states for you know several years at this point. And I kind of I, I asked some, one of them. I said, you know, why do you keep going? You're like, none of this information is is new to you that you're seeing right now. And they said, you know, look at everyone around here. I come to be here with these people. I come to get connected with them and learn from them as well. So there are just so many benefits that you get from attending these kind of conferences. Exactly. I mean, it's it, conferences are essential to learning and being updated on what's happening in the industry. 
some sitters don't find it necessary because you know they know it all and they, they don't need to learn. But it's not about that. It's also, like you said, about sharing your knowledge and helping others if you can. It also gives us an opportunity to be with people that are like-minded. And that's very important, I think, here, especially in Johannesburg, where the industry is so fragile and we don't really stick together. And not coming because you also think you don't need it also shows that how how fragile the industry is, which, you know, if you don't want to come and meet fellow pit sitters, because I don't think most of us have met. I mean, I have met most. No, maybe most, not all, but I, I don't think we, we we have actually really talked to each other about that kind of stuff, except for reference and um, seeing assignments. Whereas we don't really know each other. We just know, oh, she's the competition, and oh. I can refer her to if you want. But um, we maybe she knows something that I don't. Maybe she knows something about boarding that will help me. And I'll have the chance to ask her about that because she she's a good established business. And I think the conference will be helping a lot with that too. You use that phrase, it's a fragile industry. And part of that starts with, it sounds like those personal relationships and that building of that community. And like you said, oh, knowing somebody beyond just whether they can take care of your dog or not, but knowing them personally and knowing them professionally and learning from one another is a really good sign of where that that's headed absolutely so for you uh, just you know if you if you can pull out your magic eight ball or or, or whatever where, where do you hope the pet sitting industry will be um in in your community in the next five to ten years i really hope it will be a place where sitters come and ask for advice mostly and for guidance um, for example, I, I've been receiving a lot of messages since starting the page about, you know, can you help me uh, make a great advert? Because I don't know where to start and I don't know what to put on it. And I haven't had any assignments so far. And we worked on her skills and her policies and basically everything that she would need to start her business. And she got, I think, one client Two, two days after posting her ad in her page, which is only one client, but it always starts with one, which is amazing. We always try and refer also to other pet sitting companies, not because not, not everyone is meant to create a business. Mm. But we, it's a, I want us to be a place where sitters can come, come to for guidance. This is basically it mm. and knowledge too. Yeah, exactly. I, I love hearing when people get their very first client because you're right it's oh it's just one but it's one right and it's it's super exciting when you're just starting out to get that first person who's trusting you and to help somebody along that journey and along that profession and go this is what's possible these are this is how you can make this a thing and and make this your your livelihood it's a very gratifying thing to to help people with and to show them what the actual possibilities are Oh, it, it makes me very happy, to be honest. Um, but the problem with people start trying to start their own company is they aren't always fit to do so. And they they can't get advice anywhere about it, except maybe online. But if you want a good company, you need to have references. Because if you can't take care of the stitch, you don't want to leave your client hanging. And one issue that has come up and has been told by someone that recently started is that she contacted this leading company and they refused to help her because she she was not established and she she didn't know anything about she wasn't she didn't have any first aid she knew a little bit about behavior but not a lot but you know she really wanted to take it sitting seriously as a part-time job but no one wanted to help her because she was considered you know a a flyby, or someone that just does the sit for money, which she actually wasn't. So it was a little bit sad that she was rejected. But then she 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 contacted us on the me on the um privately, and then we worked on her policies and, like I said, assignments and whatever. And she's doing good. She's she's getting a little more clients now, which is great. That's super exciting, and I know that that conference is really going to help. A lot more people, and it sounds like it is a major step in bringing the community together and setting the industry on a really good path. Uh, Alexian, I really want to thank you for joining us 
today and for taking time out of your busy schedule to share with uh, our listeners about uh, an area of the industry, uh, you know, in South Africa that many of us aren't aware of and are super excited with everything that you're working on and and working towards there. Um, if people are interested in getting connected and learning more about you and the conference and all that good stuff, uh, how can they get connected? So they can contact me directly on the Gate Cities Conference page. My number is, my private number is listed on there, or they can just inbox me on Facebook and I will gladly answer them. Perfect. And I will, um, I'll have links to those in our show notes so people can find the conference and find everything that you've got working on and go from there. Uh, again, this has been a, a real pleasure and real honor, Lexi, and I, I can't thank you enough for, for sharing everything that you're doing, and I'm, I'm really excited for it. Well, thank you very much for having me here, too. What's the health of the pet care industry in your local community? When Alexian used that word fragile, it really struck me as describing very well how many pet sitting communities are set up. They're very disconnected. They don't know one another. They don't have meetups. They don't know who to recommend to. They feel very isolated. The future of a healthy pet care industry very much depends on an interconnected, non-fragile, instead a robust connection of pet sitters across the country, across the globe, supporting and sharing resources and information. I can't wait to hear how Alexian's conference goes and to hear all of the resources and connections made by pet sitters in her local community. We want to thank our sponsor today, Time to Pet, and thank you so much for listening and being a part of this community, this podcast community and our online community, sharing resources, helping one another, and lifting everybody up. It's a wonderful thing to see, and we are so thankful that you are a part of it. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll be back again soon. I'm <laughs> sorry.